Chapter One of Storky and Co. by Rudyard Kipling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. In ambush. In summer, all right-minded boys built huts in the firs hill behind the college. Little lairs whittled out of the heart of the prickly bushes, full of stumps, old root ends, and spikes but, since they were strictly forbidden, palaces of delight. And for the fifth summer in succession Storky, McTurk, and Beetle—this was before they reached the dignity of a study—had built like beavers a place of retreat and meditation, where they smoked. Now, there was nothing in their characters as known to Mr. Prout, their housemaster, at all commanding respect. Nor did Foxy, the subtle red-haired school sergeant, trust them. His business was to wear tennis shoes, carry binoculars, and swoop hawk-like upon evil boys. Had he taken the field alone, that hut would have been raided, for Foxy knew the manners of his quarry. But Providence moved Mr. Prout, whose school-name derived from the size of his feet was Hoofer, to investigate on his own account. It was the cautious Storky who found the track of his pugs on the very floor of their lair one peaceful afternoon when Storky would fain have forgotten Prout and his works in a volume of Surtees and a new briarwood pipe. Crusoe, at the sight of the footprint, did not act more swiftly than Storky. He removed the pipe, swept up all the loose match-ends, and departed to warn Beetle and McTurk. But it was characteristic of the boy that he did not approach his allies till he had met and conferred with little Hartop, president of the Natural History Society an institution which Storky held in contempt. Hartop was more than surprised when the boy, meekly as he knew how, begged to propose himself, Beetle and McTurk, as candidates, confessed to a long-smothered interest in first flowerings, early butterflies, and new arrivals, and volunteered, if Mr. Hartop saw fit, to enter on a new life at once. Being a master, Hartop was suspicious, but he was also an enthusiast and his gentle little soul had been galled by chance-heard remarks from the three, especially Beetle. So he was gracious to that repentant sinner, and entered the three names in his book. Then, and not till then, did Storky seek Beetle and McTurk in their house form-room. They were stowing away books for a quiet afternoon in the firs, which they called the Wuzzy. "'All up,' said Storky serenely. I spotted Heffy's fairy feet round our hut after dinner. Blessing they're so big. Confound! Did you hide our pipes? said Beetle. Oh, no, I left them in the middle of the hut, of course. What a blind ass you are, Beetle. Do you think nobody thinks but yourself? Well, we can't use the hut any more. Hoofer'll be watching it. Bother and likewise blow, said McTurk thoughtfully unpacking the volumes with which his chest was cased. The boys carried their libraries between their belt and their collar. "'Nice job! This means we're under suspicion for the rest of the term. Why, all that Heffy found is a hut. He and Foxy will watch it. It's nothing to do with us. Only we mustn't be seen that way for a bit.' "'Yes. And where else are we to go?' said Beetle. "'You chose that place, too. And, and I wanted to read this afternoon.' Storky sat on a desk, drumming his feet on the form. "'You're a desponding brute, Beetle. 
Sometimes I think I shall have to drop you altogether. Did you ever know your Uncle Storky forget you yet? His rebus infectis. After I'd seen Heffy's man-tracks marching round our hut, I found little Hartop. Destrictio ense, waving a butterfly net. I conciliated Hartop, told him that you'd read papers to the bug-hunters if he let you join, Beetle. Told him you like butterflies, Turkey. Anyhow, I soothed the Hartoffles, and we're bug-hunters now. What's the good of that? said Beetle. Oh, Turkey, kick him! In the interests of science, bounds were largely relaxed for the members of the Natural History Society. They could wander, if they kept clear of all houses, practically where they chose, Mr. Hartop holding himself responsible for their good conduct. Beetle began to see this as McTurk began his cooking. "'I'm an ass, Dorky,' he said, guarding the afflicted part. "'Pax, Turkey, I'm an ass.' "'Don't stop, Turkey. Isn't your Uncle Storky a great man?' "'Great man,' said Beetle. "'All the same, bug-hunting's a filthy business,' said McTurk. "'How the deuce does one begin?' "'This way,' said Storky, turning to some fags lockers behind him. "'Fags are dabs at natural history. Here's young Braybrook's botany case.' He flung out a tangle of decayed roots and adjusted the slide. "'Gives one no end of a professional air, I think. "'Here's clay-miner's geological hammer. Beetle can carry that. "'Turkey, you better covet a butterfly-net from somewhere.' "'I'm blowed if I do,' said McTurk, simply, but with immense feeling. "'Beetle, give me the hammer.' "'All right. I'm not proud. "'Chuck us down that net on top of the locker, Storky.' "'That's all right. It's a collapsible jamboree, too. "'Beastly luxurious dogs these fags are. "'Built like a fishing-rod. "'Pon my sainted Sam, but we look the complete bug-hunters. "'Now listen to your Uncle Storky. "'We're going along the cliffs after butterflies. "'Very few chaps come there. "'We're going to leg it, too. "'You better leave your book behind.' "'Not much,' said Beetle firmly. "'I'm not going to be done out of my fun for a lot of filthy butterflies. "'Then you'll sweat horrid. "'You better carry my jorrocks. "'Don't make you any hotter.' "'They all sweated, for Storky led them at a smart trot west away "'along the cliffs under the Furs Hills.' crossing coombe after gorsy coombe they took no heed to flying rabbits or fluttering fritillaries and all that turkey said of geology was utterly unquotable are we going to clovelly he puffed at last and they flung themselves down on a short springy turf between the drone of the sea below and the light summer wind among the inland trees they were looking into a coombe half full of old high firs in gay bloom that ran up to a fringe of brambles and a dense wood of mixed timber and hollies. It was as though one half of the coombe were filled with golden fire to the cliff's edge. The side nearest to them was open grass, and fairly bristled with notice-boards. "'Ferocious old cove, this,' said Storky, reading the nearest. "'Prosecuted with the utmost rigour of the law, G. M. Dabney, Col, J. P., and all the rest of it. Don't seem to me that any chap in his senses would trespass here, does it?' You've got to prove damage, for you can prosecute for anything. Can't prosecute for trespass, said McTurk, whose father held many acres in Ireland. That's all rot. Glad of that, cause this looks like what we wanted. Not straight across, Beetle, you blind lunatic. Anyone could spot us half a mile off. This way, and fill up your beastly butterfly net. Beetle disconnected the ring, thrust the net into a pocket, shut up the handle to a two-foot stave, and slid the cane-ring round his waist. Storky led inland to the wood, which was perhaps a quarter of a mile from the sea, and reached the fringe of the brambles. 
Now we can get straight down into the furs, and never show up at all, said the tactician. Beetle, go ahead and explore. Sniff, sniff. Beastie stink a fox somewhere. On all fours, save when he clung to his spectacles, Beetle wormed into the gorse, and presently announced, between grunts of pain, that he had found a very fair fox-track. This was well for Beetle, since Storky pinched him Artergo. Down that tunnel they crawled. It was evidently a highway for the inhabitants of the coombe, and, to their inexpressible joy, ended at the very edge of the cliff, in a few square feet of dry turf walled and roofed with impenetrable gorse. By gum! There isn't a single thing to do except lie down, said Storky, returning a knife to his pocket. Look here! He parted the tough stems before him. It was as a window opened on a fair view of Lundy, and the deep sea sluggishly nosing the pebbles a couple of hundred feet below. They could hear young jackdaws squawking on the ledges, the hiss and jabber of a nest of hawks somewhere out of sight, and with great deliberation Storky spat on the back of a young rabbit sunning himself far down where only a cliff rabbit could have found foothold. Great grey and black gulls screamed against the jackdaws. The heavy-scented acres of bloom around them were alive with low-nesting birds, singing or silent as the shadow of the wheeling hawks passed and returned and, on the naked turf across the coombe, rabbits thumped and frolicked. "'Phew! What a place! Talk of natural history, this is it,' said Storky, filling himself a pipe. "'Isn't it scrumptious? Good old sea!' He spat again approvingly, and was silent. McTurk and Beetle had taken out their books, and were lying on their stomachs, chin in hand. The sea snored and gurgled. The birds, scattered for a moment by these new arrivals, returned to their businesses, and the boys read on in the rich, warm, sleepy silence. "'Hallo! There's a keeper,' said Storky, shutting Hanley Cross cautiously, and peering through the jungle. A man with a gun appeared on the skyline to the east. "'Confound him! He's going to sit down!' "'He'd swear we were poaching, too,' said Beetle. What's the good of pheasants' eggs? They're always addled, too. Might as well get up to the wood, I think, said Storky. We don't want G.M. Dabney Cole, J.P., to be bothered about us so soon. Up the wuzzy and keep quiet. He may have followed us, you know. Beetle was already far up the tunnel. They heard him gasp indescribably. There was a crash of a heavy body leaping through the firs. Ay, you red rascal, I see you. The keeper threw the gun to his shoulder, and fired both barrels in their direction. The pellets dusted the dry stems around them, as a big fox plunged between Storky's legs and ran over the cliff-edge. They said nothing till they reached the wood, torn, dishevelled, hot, but unseen. "'Narrow squeak,' said Storky. "'I'll swear some of the pellets went through my hair.' "'Did you see him?' said Beetle. "'I almost put my hand on him. Wasn't he a whopper? Didn't he stink?' "'Hello, Turkey. What's the matter? Are you hit?' McTurk's lean face had turned pearly white. His mouth, generally half open, was tight shut. His eyes blazed. They had never seen him like this, save once in a sad time of civil war. "'Do you know that that was just as bad as murder?' he said, in a grating voice. 
as he brushed prickles from his head. "'Well, he didn't hit us,' said Stalky. "'I think it was rather a lark. Here, where are you going?' "'I'm going up to the house, if there is one,' said McTurk, pushing through the hollies. "'I am going to tell this Colonel Dabney.' "'Are you crazy? He'll swear it served us jolly well right. He'll report us. It'll be a public licking. Oh, Turkey, don't be an ass. Think of us.' "'You fool!' said McTurk, turning savagely. "'Do you suppose I'm thinking of us? It's the keeper!' "'He's cracked,' said Beetle, miserably, as they followed. Indeed, this was a new turkey, a haughty, angular, nose-lifted turkey, whom they accompanied through a shrubbery onto a lawn, where a white-whiskered old gentleman with a cleek was alternately putting and blaspheming vigorously. "'Are you Colonel Dabney?' McTurk began in this new creaking voice of his. "'I—I I am, and—' His eyes travelled up and down the boy. "'Who? What the devil do you want?' "'You've been disturbing my pheasants. Don't attempt to deny it. You needn't laugh at it.' McTurk's not too lovely features had twisted themselves into a horrible sneer at the word pheasant. "'You've been birds-nesting. You needn't hide your hat.' I can see that you belong to the college. Don't attempt to deny it. You do. Your name and number at once, sir. You want to speak to me, eh? You saw my notice-boards. Must have. Don't attempt to deny it. Ye did. Damnable, oh, damnable. He choked with emotion. McTurk's heel tapped the lawn, and he stuttered a little, two sure signs that he was losing his temper. But why should he, the offender, be angry? Look here, sir. Do, do you shoot foxes? Because if you don't, your keeper does. We've seen him. I don't, don't, don't care what you call us. But it's an awful thing. It's the ruin of good feeling among neighbours. A ma man ought to say once and for all how he stands about preserving. It's worse than murder. Because there's no legal remedy. McTurk was quoting confusedly from his father while the old gentleman made noises in his throat. "'Do you know who I am?' he gurgled at last, Storky and Beetle quaking. "'No, sir. Nor do I care if you belong to the castle itself. Answer me now, as one gentleman to another. Do ye shoot foxes, or do ye not?' And four years before, Storky and Beetle had carefully kicked McTurk out of his Irish dialect. Assuredly he had gone mad, or taken a sunstroke, and as assuredly he would be slain once by the old gentleman, and once by the head. A public licking for the throw was the least they could expect. Yet, if their eyes and ears were to be trusted, the old gentleman had collapsed. It might be a lull before the storm, but— "'I do not!' He was still gurgling. "'Then you must sack your keeper. He's not fit to live in the same county as a God-fearing fox, and a vixen, too, at this time of the year.' "'Did you come on purpose to tell me this?' "'Of course I did, you silly man,' with a stamp of the foot. "'Would you not have done as much for me if you'd seen that thing happen on my land now?' Forgotten, forgotten was the college and the decency due to elders. McTurk was treading again the barren purple mountains of the rainy west coast, where in his holidays he was viceroy of four thousand naked acres, only son to a three-hundred-year-old house, lord of a crazy fishing-boat, and the idol of his father's shiftless tenantry. It was the landed man, speaking to his equal, 
deep calling to deep, and the old gentleman acknowledged the cry. I apologize, said he. I apologize unreservedly to you and to the old country. Now, will you be good enough to tell me your story? We were in your coombe, McTurk began, and he told his tale alternately as a schoolboy, and when the iniquity of the thing overcame him, as an indignant squire. Concluding, so you see, he must be in the habit of it. I, we, one, never wants to accuse a neighbour's man. But I took the liberty in this case. I see, quite so. Uh, for a reason you had. Infamous, oh, infamous. The two had fallen to step beside each other on the lawn, and Colonel Dabney was talking as one man to another. This comes of promoting a fisherman, a fisherman, from his lobster pots. It's enough to ruin the reputation of an archangel. Don't attempt to deny it, it is. Your father has brought you up well, he has. I'd much like the pleasure of his acquaintance, very much indeed. And these young gentlemen, English they are. Don't attempt to deny it. They came with you too. Extraordinary, extraordinary now. In the present state of education, I wouldn't have thought any three boys would be well enough grounded. But out of the mouths of, no, no, not by any odds. Don't attempt to deny it, you're not. Sherry always catches me under the liver. But beer now, eh? What do you say to beer? And something to eat. It's long since I was a boy. Abominable nuisances. But exceptions prove the rule. And a vixen, too. They were fed on the terrace by a grey-haired housekeeper. Storky and Beetle merely ate. But McTurk, with bright eyes, continued a free and lofty discourse, and ever the old gentleman treated him as a brother. "'My dear man, of course you can come again. Did I not say exceptions prove the rule? The lower coombe? Man, dear, anywhere you please, so long as you don't disturb my pheasants. The two are not incompatible. Don't attempt to deny it. They are not. I'll never allow another gun, though. Come and go as you please. I'll not see you, and you needn't see me. You've been well brought up. Another glass of beer now. I tell you a fisherman he was, and a fisherman he shall be to-night again. He shall. I wish I could drown him. I'll convoy you to the, to the college. My people are not precisely uh, broke to boy, but they'll know you again. He dismissed them with many compliments by the high lodge gate in the split-oak park palings, and they stood still, even Storky, who had played second, not to say dumb, fiddle, regarding McTurk as one from another world. The two glasses of strong home-brewed had brought a melancholy upon the boy, for, slowly patrolling with his hands in his pockets, he crooned, "'Oh, Paddy, dear, did ye hear the news that's going around?' Under other circumstances, Storky and Beetle would have fallen upon him, for that song was barred utterly, anathema, the sin of witchcraft. But seeing what he'd wrought, they danced round him in silence, waiting till it pleased him to touch earth. The tea-bell rang when they were still half a mile from college. McTurk shivered and came out of dreams. The glory of his holiday estate had left him. He was a colleger of the college speaking English once more. "'Turkey, it was immense,' said Storky generously. "'I didn't know you had it in you. You've got us a hut for the rest of the term. 
where we simply can't be collared. Fids, fids, oh fids, I gloat, hear me gloat. They spun wildly on their heels, jodling after the accepted manner of a gloat, which is not unremotely allied to the primitive man's song of triumph, and dropped down the hill by a path from the gasometer just in time to meet their housemaster, who had spent the afternoon watching their abandoned hut in the wuzzy. Unluckily, all Mr. Prout's imagination leaned to the darker side of life. He looked on those young-eyed cherubim most sourly. Boys that he understood attended house-matches, and could be accounted for at any moment. But he had heard McTurk openly deride cricket, even house-matches. Beetle's views on the honour of the house he knew were incendiary, and he could never tell when the soft and smiling Storky was laughing at him. Consequently, since human nature is what it is, those boys had been doing wrong somewhere. He hoped it was nothing serious, but— Tirara lie to I gloat, hear me. Storky still on his heels, whirled like a dancing dervish to the dining hall. Tirara la ti tu, I gloat, hear me. Beetle spun behind him with outstretched arms. Tirara la ti tu, I gloat, hear me. McTurk's voice cracked. Now, was there or was there not a distinct flavour of beer? as they shot past Mr. Prout. He was unlucky, in that his conscience as a housemaster impelled him to consult his associates. Had he taken his pipe and his troubles to little Hartop's rooms, he would perhaps have saved confusion, for Hartop believed in boys. He knew something about them. His fate led him to King, a fellow housemaster, no friend of his, but a zealous hater of Storky and Co. Ah. "'Ha!' said King, rubbing his hands when the tale was told. "'Curious! Now, my house never dream of doing these things. But I've no proof, exactly. Proof, with the egregious beetle, as if one wanted it. I suppose it's not impossible for the sergeant to supply it. Foxy is considered at least a match for any evasive boy in my house. Of course, they were smoking and drinking somewhere. That type of boy always does. They think it manly.' "'But they've no following in the school, and they are distinctly uh, brutal to their juniors,' said Prout, who had from a distance seen Beetle return, with interest, his butterfly net to a tearful fag. "'Ah, they consider themselves superior to ordinary delights, self-sufficient little animals. There's something in McTurk's Hibernian sneer that would make me a little annoyed.' and they are so careful to avoid all overt acts, too. It's sheer calculated insolence. I am strongly opposed, as you know, to interfering with another man's house. But they need a lesson, Prout. They need a sharp lesson. If you don't bring down their overweening self-conceit, were I you, I would devote myself for a week to their little performances. Boys of that order, and I may flatter myself, but I think I no boys don't join the bug hunters for love tell the sergeant to keep his eye open and of course in my peregrinations i may casually keep mine open too far down the corridor 
Disgusting, said King. Where do they pick up these obscene noises? One sharp lesson is what they want. The boys did not concern themselves with lessons for the next few days. They had all Colonel Dabney's estate to play with, and they explored it with the stealth of Red Indians and the accuracy of burglars. They could enter either by the lodge gates on the upper road, they were careful to ingratiate themselves with the lodge-keeper and his wife, drop down to the coombe, and return along the cliffs, or they could begin at the coombe and climb up into the road. They were careful not to cross the colonel's path, he had served his turn, and they would not outwear their welcome. Nor did they show up on the skyline, when they could move in cover. The shelter of the gorse by the cliff-edge was their chosen retreat. Beetle christened it the pleasant Isle of Aves, for the peace and the shelter of it. And here the pipes and tobacco, once cached in a convenient ledge an arm's length down the cliff, their position was legally unassailable. For, observe, Colonel Dabney had not invited them to enter his house, therefore they did not need to ask specific leave to go visiting, and school rules were strict on that point. He had merely thrown open his grounds to them, and, since they were lawful bug-hunters, their extended bounds ran up to his notice-boards in the coombe, and his lodge-gates on the hill. They were amazed at their own virtue. "'And even if it wasn't,' said Storky, flat on his back, staring into the blue, "'even suppose we were miles out of bounds. No one could get at us through this wuzzy, unless he knew the tunnel. Isn't this better than lying up just behind the coal, in a blue funk, every time we had a smoke?' "'Isn't your uncle Storky?' "'No!' said Beetle. He was stretched to the edge of the cliff, spitting thoughtfully. "'We've got to thank Turkey for this. Turkey is a great man. Turkey, dear, you're distressing heffles.' "'Gloomy old ass,' said McTurk, deep in a book. "'They've got us under suspicion,' said Storky. "'Hoofats is so suspicious somehow.' and Foxy always makes every stalk he does a sort of, sort of, scalp, said Beetle. Foxy's a giddy chingangook. Poor Foxy, said Storky. He's going to catch us one of these days, said to me in the gym last night. I've got my eye on you, Mr. Corcoran. I'm only warning you for your own good. Then I said, Well, you jolly well take it off again, or you'll get into trouble. I'm only warning you for your own good. Foxy was wroth. Yes, but it's only fair sport for Foxy, said Beetle. It's Hefflinger that has the evil mind. Shouldn't wonder if he thought we got tight. I never got squiffy but once, and that was in the holidays, said Storky, reflectively. And it made me horrid sick. By my sacred Sam, though, it's enough to drive a man to drink, having an animal like hoof for a housemaster. If we attended the matches and yelled, well hit, sir, and stood on one leg and grinned every time Heffy said, Oh, so ho, my sons, is it thus? And said, Yes, sir, and no, sir, and oh, sir, and please, sir, like a lot of filthy fags. Heffy had think no end of us, said McTurk, with a sneer. Too late to begin that. It's all right. The Hefflinger means well, but he is an ass, and we show him that we think he's an ass, and so Heffy don't love us. Told me last night after prayers he was in loco parentis, 
Beetle grunted. "'The deuce he did!' cried Storky. "'That means he's maturing something unusual damn mean. Last time he told me that, he gave me three hundred lines for dancing the cachucha in number ten dormitory. Loco parentis by gum! But what's the odds as long as you're happy? We're all right.' They were. And their very rightness puzzled Prout, King, and the sergeant. Boys with bad consciences show it. They slink out past the fives court in haste, and smile nervously when questioned. They return disordered, in bare time to save a call-over. They nod and wink and giggle to one another, scattering at the approach of a master. But Storky and his allies had long outlived these manifestations of youth. They strolled forth unconcernedly, and returned in excellent shape, after a light refreshment of strawberries and cream, at the lodge. The lodgekeeper had been promoted keeper, Vice the murderous fisherman, and his wife made much of the boys. The man, too, gave them a squirrel, which they presented to the Natural History Society, thereby checkmating little Hartop, who wished to know what they were doing for science. Foxy faithfully worked some deep Devon lanes behind a lonely crossroads inn, and it was curious that Prout and King, members of the common room seldom friendly, walked together in the same direction that is to say, north-east. Now, the pleasant Isle of Aves lay due south-west. They're deep. Devilish deep, said Storky. Why are they drawing those covers? Me, said Beetle sweetly. I asked Foxy if he had ever tasted the beer there. That was enough for Foxy. It cheered him up a little. He and Heffy were sniffing around our old hut so long I thought they'd like a change. "'Well, it can't last for ever,' said Storky. "'Heffy's banking up like a thundercloud, "'and King goes rubbing his beastly hands and grinning like a hyena. "'It's shocking demoralizing for King. "'He'll burst some day.' "'That day came a little sooner than they expected. "'Came when the sergeant, whose duty it was to collect defaulters, "'did not attend an afternoon call-over. "'Tired of pubs, eh? "'He's gone up to the top of the bill with his binoculars to spot us.' said Storky. Wonder he didn't think of that before. Did you see old Heffy cock his eye at us when we answered our names? Heffy's in it too. Tee-ri-ra-la-la-tee-too. I gloat. Hear me. Come on. Aves, said Beetle. Of course, but I'm not smoking aujourd'hui. Parce que je jolly well pense that we'll be sweevy. We'll go along the cliffs, slow, and give Foxy lots of time to parallel us up above. They strolled towards the swing-baths, and presently overtook King. "'Oh, don't let me interrupt you,' he said. "'Engaged in scientific pursuits, of course. I trust you will enjoy yourselves, my young friends.' "'You see,' said Storky, when they were out of earshot, "'he can't keep a secret. He's following to cut off a line of retreat. He'll wait at the baths till Heffy comes along. They've tried every blessed place along the cliffs, and now they think they've bottled us. No need to hurry. They walked leisurely over the combs till they reached the line of notice boards. Listen a shake. Foxy's upwind coming downhill like beans. When you hear him move in the bushes, go straight across to Aves. They want to catch us, flagrante delicto. They dived into the gorse at right angles to the tunnel, openly crossing the grass, and lay still in Aves. What did I tell you? Storky carefully put away the pipes 
and tobacco. The sergeant, out of breath, was leaning against the fence, raking the furs with his binoculars, and he might as well have tried to see through a sandbag. Anon, Prout and King appeared behind him. They conferred. Aha! Foxy don't like the notice-boards, and he don't like the prickles either. Now we'll cut up the tunnel and go to the lodge. Hello! They've sent Foxy into cover. The sergeant was waist-deep in crackling, swaying furs, his ears filled with the noise of his own progress. The boys reached the shelter of the wood, and looked down through a belt of hollies. "'Hellish noise,' said Storky critically. "'Don't think Colonel Dabney will like it. I move we go up to the lodge and get something to eat. We might as well see the fun out.' Suddenly the keeper passed them at a trot. "'Whom they to coom bottom for lard's sake? Master'll be crazy,' he said. "'Poacher Simley,' Storky replied in the broad Devon that was the boy's lung de guerre. "'I'll poach him rates!' He dropped into the funnel-like coom, which presently began to fill with noises, notably King's voice crying, "'Go on, sergeant! Leave him alone! You, sir! He's executing my orders!' "'Whom you to give orders here, Gingy Whiskers? You come up to master! Come out of that, was he?' This to the sergeant. "'Yes, I reckon. Us knows the boys you'm after. They've too long ears and vuzzy bellies. And you, nippies, they in your pockets when they'm dead. Come up to master. He'll boy you all you've a mind to. You are the folk by your side fence. Explain to the proprietor. You can explain, sergeant,' shouted King. Evidently the sergeant had surrendered to the major force. Beetle lay at full length on the turf behind the lodge, literally biting the earth in spasms of joy. Storky kicked him upright. There was nothing of levity about Storky or McTurk, save a stray muscle twitching on the cheek. They tapped at the lodge door, where they were always welcome. "'Come you right in and sit down, my little dears,' said the woman. "'They'll never touch my man. He'll poach him to rights. He's fie. Fresh berries and cream. Ask any more folk never forget their friends. But them biddy for poachers, they've no hem to their garments. Sugar? My man, he've digged a badger for you, my dears. Tis in hay in the box. Us'll take em with us when we're finished here. I reckon you'm busy. We'll bide here and tis washing day with you, Simley, said Storky. We've no company to make all vidy for. Never you mind us. Yes, there's plenty cream. The woman withdrew, wiping her pink hands on her apron, and left them in the parlour. There was a scuffle of feet on the gravel outside, the heavy-leaded diamond panes, then the voice of Colonel Dabney, something clearer than a bugle. Ye can read. You've eyes in your head. Don't attempt to deny it. You have. Beetle snatched a crochet-work antimacassar from a shiny horsehair sofa, stuffed it into his mouth, and rolled out of sight. "'You saw my notice-boards. Your duty—curse your impudence, sir, your duty was to keep off my grounds. Talk of duty to me. Why, 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 ye misbegotten poacher, you'll be teaching my mere ABC next. Roaring like a bull in the bushes down there. Boys, 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 keep your boys at home, then. I'm not responsible for your boys.' "'But I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it. 
You've a furtive look in your eye, a furtive sneakin' poachin' look in your eye. That'd ruin the reputation of an archangel. Don't attempt to deny it. You have. A sergeant? More shame to you, then. And the worst bargain Her Majesty ever made. A sergeant? To run about the country poaching on your pension. Damnable, oh, damnable. But I'll be considerate. I'll be merciful. By gad, I'll be the very essence of humanity. Did ye, or did ye not, see my notice-boards? Don't attempt to deny it, ye did. Silence, sergeant. Twenty-one years in the army had left their mark on Foxy. He obeyed. Now, march! The high lodge gates shut with a clang. My duty! A sergeant to tell me my duty! puffed Colonel Dabney. Good lard! More sergeants! It's King! It's King! gulped Storky, his head on the horsehair pillow. McTurk was eating the rag carpet before the speckless hearth, and the sofa heaved to the emotions of Beetle. Through the thick glass, the figures without showed blue, distorted, and menacing. I pro I, I protest against this outrage. King had evidently been running uphill. The man was entirely within his duty. Let, let me give you my card. He's in flannels. Storky buried his head again. Unfortunately, most unfortunately, I have not one with me. But my name is King, sir, a housemaster of the college and you will find me prepared, fully prepared, to answer for this man's action. We've seen three. Did ye see my notice-boards? I admit we did, but under the circumstances I, I stand in loco parentis. Prout's deep voice was added to the discussion. They could hear him pant. For what? Colonel Dabney was growing more and more Irish. I'm responsible for the boys under my charge. Are ye, are ye? Then all I can say is that ye set him a very bad example, a damn bad example, if I may say so. I do not own your boys. I've not seen your boys. And I tell you that if there was a boy grinning every bush on the place, still ye've no shadow of a right here. Coming up from the comb that way, and frightening everything in it, don't attempt to deny it ye did. Ye should have come to the lodge and seen me like Christians, instead of chasing your damn boys through the length and breadth of my covers. In loco parentis is ye, ye. Well, I've not forgotten my Latin either. And I'll say to you, quis custodia dipsus custodes? If the master's trespass, how can we blame the boys? Uh, but if I could speak to you privately, said Prout, I'll have nothing private with you. Ye can be as private as you please on the other side of that gate. And I wish ye a very good afternoon. The second time the gate clanged. They waited till Colonel Dabney had returned to the house, and fell into one another's arms, crowing for breath. Oh, my soul! Oh, my king! Oh, my heffy! Oh, my foxy zeal! All zeal, Mr. Simple! Storky wiped his eyes. Oh, oh, I, oh! I did boil the exciseman. We must get out of this, or we'll be late for tea. Get, get, get the badger, and... Make little Hartop happy. M -m Make them all happy, sobbed McTurk, groping for the door and kicking the prostrate beetle before him. They found the beast in an evil-smelling box, left two half-crowns for payment, and staggered home. Only the badger grunted most marvellous like Colonel Dabney, and they dropped him twice or thrice with shrieks of helpless laughter. They were but imperfectly recovered when Foxy met them at the fives' court, 
with word that they were to go up to their dormitory and wait till sent for. "'We'll take the box to Mr. Hartrop's rooms, then. "'We've done something for the Natural History Society, at any rate,' said Beetle. "'Fraid that won't save you, young gentleman,' Foxy answered, in an awful voice. He was sorely ruffled in his mind. "'All sereno, Foxibus!' Storky had reached the extreme stage of hiccups. "'We'll—we'll we'll never desert you, Foxy. "'Hounds chopping foxes in cover is more a proof of vice, ain't it? "'No, you're right. I'm not—I'm not quite well.' "'They've gone too far this time,' Foxy thought to himself. "'Very far gone, I'd say, except there was no smell of liquor. "'And yet it isn't like em somehow. "'King and Prout, they add their addressing down same as me.' That's one comfort. Now, we must pull up, said Storky, rising from the bed on which he'd thrown himself. We're injured in innocence as usual. We don't know what we've been sent up here for, do we? No explanation, deprived of tea, public disgrace before the house, said McTurk, whose eyes were running over. It's damn serious. Well, hold on, till King loses his temper, said Beetle. He's a libelous old rip, and he'll be raving paddywhack. Prout's too beastly cautious. Keep your eye on King, and if he gives us a chance, appeal to the Ed. That always makes him sick. They were summoned to their housemaster's study, King and Foxy supporting Prout, and Foxy had three canes under his arm. King leered triumphantly, for there were tears, undried tears of mirth, on the boy's cheeks. Then the examination began. Yes, they had walked along the cliffs. Yes, they had entered Colonel Dadney's grounds. Yes, they had seen the notice-boards. At this point Beetle spluttered hysterically. For what purpose had they entered Colonel Dabney's grounds? Well, sir, there was a badger. Here King, who loathed the Natural History Society, because he didn't like Hartop, could no longer be restrained. He begged them not to add mendacity to open insolence. But the badger was in Mr. Hartop's rooms, sir. The sergeant had kindly taken it up for them. That disposed of the badger, and the temporary check brought King's temper to boiling point. They could hear his foot on the floor while Prout prepared his lumbering inquiries. They had settled into their stride now. Their eyes ceased to sparkle, their faces were blank. Their hands hung beside them without a twitch. They were learning, at the expense of their fellow countrymen, the lesson of their race, which is to put away all emotion and entrap the alien at the proper time. So far, so good. King was importing himself more freely into the trial, being vengeful where Prout was grieved. They knew the penalties of trespassing. With a fine show of irresolution, Storky admitted that he had gathered some information vaguely bearing on this head, but he thought—the sentence was dragged out to the utmost—Storky did not wish to play his trump with such an opponent. Mr. King desired no buts, nor was he interested in Storky's evasions. They, on the other hand, might be interested in his poor views. Boys who crept, who sneaked, who lurked out of bounds, even the generous bounds of the Natural History Society, which they had falsely joined as a cloak for their misdeeds, their vices, their villainies, their immoralities—he'll break cover in a minute," said Storky to himself. 
then we'll run him before he gets away such boys such scabrous boys moral lepers the current of his words was carrying him off his feet evil speakers liars slow bellies yea incipient drunkards he was merely working up to a peroration and the boys knew it but McTurk cut through the frothing sentence the others echoing I appeal to the head sir I appeal to the head sir I appeal to the head sir it was their unquestioned right drunkenness meant expulsion after a public flogging they had been accused of it the case was the heads and the heads alone thou hast appealed to Caesar unto Caesar thou shalt go they had heard that sentence once or twice before in their careers none the less said King uneasily you would be better advised to abide by our decision my young friends are we allowed to associate with the rest of the school till we see the head sir said McTurk to his housemaster disregarding King this at once lifted the situation to its loftiest plane moreover it meant no work for moral leprosy was strictly quarantined and the head never executed judgment till twenty-four cold hours later well uh, if you persist in your defiant attitude said King with a loving look at the canes under Foxy's arm there is no alternative ten minutes later the news was over the whole school Storky and co had fallen at last fallen by drink they had been drinking they had returned blind drunk from a hut they were even now lying hopelessly intoxicated on the dormitory floor a few bold spirits crept up to look and received boots about the head from the criminals we've got him got him on the claudine toasting fork said Storky after those hints were taken King'll have to prove his charges up to the giddy hilt too much tickly embossed Beetle quoted from the book of his reading didn't I say go pop if we laden bide no prep either o ye incipient drunkards said McTurk and it's trig night too hallo here's our dear friend Foxy more tortures Foxibus I bought you something to eat young gentlemen said the sergeant from behind a crowded tray their wars had ever been waged without malice and the suspicion floated in Foxy's mind that boys who allowed themselves to be tracked so easily might perhaps hold something in reserve Foxy had served through the mutiny when early and accurate information was worth much I I noticed you hadn't had anything to eat and I spoke to Gumbly and he said you wasn't exactly cut off from supplies so I've brought up this it's your potted am tin ain't it mr. Cochran why Foxibus you're a brick said Storky I didn't think you had this much what's the word beetle bowels beetle replied promptly thank you sergeant that's young Carter's potted ham though ah, there was a C on it I thought it was mr. Corcoran's this is a very serious business young gentleman that's what it is I didn't know perhaps but there might be something on your side which you hadn't said to mr. King or mr. Prout maybe there is heaps Foxibus this from Storky through a full mouth and then you see if that was the case it seems to me that I might represent it quiet so to say to the Ed when he asks me about it 
I've got to take him the charges to-night, and it looks bad on the face of it. Atrocious bad, Foxy. Twenty-seven cuts in the gym before all the school, and public expulsion. Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging, quoth Beetle. It's nothing to make fun of, young gentleman. I've had to go to the head with the charges, and, and you may be aware, perhaps, but that I was following you this afternoon, having my suspicions. Did, did ye see your notice-boards? croaked McTurk, in the very brogue of Colonel Dabney. If eyes in the head, don't deny it, don't attempt to deny it, ye did, said Beetle. A sergeant, to run about poaching on your pension. Damnable, oh, damnable, said Storky, without pity. Good Lord, said the sergeant, sitting heavily upon a bed. Where, where the devil was you? I might have known it was a do somewhere. Oh, you clever maniac, Storky resumed. We mayn't be aware you were following us this afternoon, mayn't we? Thought you were stalking us, eh? Why, we led you bung into it, of course. Colonel Dabney, don't you think he's a nice man, Foxy? Colonel Dabney is our pet particular friend. We've been going there for weeks and weeks. He invited us. You and your duty. Curse your duty, sir. Your duty was to keep off his covers. You'll never be able to hold your head up again, Foxy. The fags'll hoot at you, said Beetle. Think of your giddy prestige. The sergeant was thinking. Hard. Uh, look here, young gentleman, he said earnestly. You aren't surely ever going to tell, are you? Wasn't Mr. Prout, Mr. King, in in it too? Foxy Bisculus, they was. They was. Singular horrid. Caught it worse than you. We heard every word of it. You got off easy, considering. If I'd been Dabney, I swear I'd a quadded you. I think I'll suggest it to him tomorrow. And, and it's all going up to the head. Good Lord. Every giddy word of it, my Chinganook, said Beetle, dancing. Why shouldn't it? We've done nothing wrong. We ain't poachers. We didn't cut about blasting the characters of poor innocent boys, saying they were drunk. That I didn't, said Foxy. I, I only said that you'd behaved uncommon odd when you come back with that badger. Mr. King may have taken the wrong hint from that. Of course he did. And he'll jolly well shove all the blame on you when he finds out he's wrong. We know King if you don't. I'm ashamed of you. You ain't fit to be a sergeant, said McTurk. Now we're three thoroughgoing young devils like you I ain't. I've been had. I've been ambuscaded horse, foot, and guns. I've been had. And, and there'll be no holding the junior forms after this. Moreover, the Ed will send me with a note to Colonel Dabney to ask if what you say about being invited was true. Then you'd better go in by the lodge gate this time instead of chasing your damn boys. Or was that the epistle to King? So it was. Well, Foxy? Storky put his chin on his hands and regarded the victim with deep delight. Tee-ra-ra-li-loo-la-tee-too, I gloat. Hear me, said Beturk. Foxy brought us tea when we were moral lepers. Foxy has a heart. Foxy has been in the army, too. I wish I had eye you in my company, young gentleman, said the sergeant from the depths of his heart. I'd have given you something. Silence at the drumhead court-martial, McTurk went on. I'm advocate for the prisoner, and besides, this is much too good to tell all the other brutes in the call. They'd never understand. They'd play cricket and say, Yes, sir, oh, sir, and no, sir. Never mind that. 
"'Go ahead,' said Storky. "'Well, Foxy's a good little chap when he does not esteem himself so as to be clever. "'Take not out your rounds on a very windy day,' Storky struck in. "'I don't care if you let him off, nor me,' said Beetle. "'Effie is my only joy. Effie and King.' "'I had to do it,' said the sergeant plaintively. "'Right. Oh, led away by bad companions, in the execution of his duty, or, or words to that effect. "'You're dismissed with a reprimand, Foxy. We won't tell about you. I swear we won't,' McTurk concluded. "'Bad for the discipline of the school. Horrid bad.' "'Well,' said the sergeant, gathering up the tea-things, "'knowing what I know of young de- gentlemen of the college, I'm very glad to hear it. But what am I to tell the Ed? Anything you jolly well please, Foxy.' We aren't criminals. To say that the head was annoyed when the sergeant appeared after dinner with the day's crime-sheet would be putting it mildly. Cochrane, McTurk and co, I see. Bounds as usual. Hello. What the deuce is this? Suspicion of drinking? Whose charge? Mr. King, sir. I caught him out of bounds, sir. At least that was how it looked. But there's a lot behind it, sir. The sergeant was evidently troubled. Go on said the head. Let us have your version. He and the sergeant had dealt with one another for some seven years, and the head knew that Mr. King's statements depended very largely on Mr. King's temper. I thought they were out of bounds along the cliffs. But it come out they wasn't, sir. I saw em go into Colonel Dabney's woods, and Mr. King and Mr. Prout come along. And the fact was, sir, we was mistook for poachers by Colonel Dabney's people, Mr. King, Mr. Prout, and me. There were some words, sir, on both sides. The young gentleman slipped home somehow, and they seemed highly humorous, sir. Mr. King was mistook by Colonel Dabney himself, Colonel Dabney being strict. Then they preferred to come straight to you, sir, on account of what what Mr. King may have said about their habits afterwards in Mr. Prout's study. I only said there was highly humorous, laughing and giggling, and a bit above themselves. They've since told me, sir, in a humorous way, that they was invited by Colonel Dabney to go into his woods. I see. Uh, they didn't tell their housemaster that, of course. Uh, they took up Mr. King on appeal, just as soon as he spoke about their habits. Put in the appeal at once, sir, and asked to be sent to the dormitory waiting for you. I've since gathered, sir, in their humorous way, sir, that somehow or other they bird about every word Colonel Dabney said to Mr. King and Mr. Prout when he mistook them for poachers. I I might have known when they led me on so that they held the inner line of communications. It's it's a plain do, sir, if you ask me. And they're gloating over it in the dormitory. The head saw. Saw even to the uttermost farthing. And his mouth twitched a little under his moustache. Send them to me at once, Sergeant. This case needn't wait over. Good evening, said he, when the three appeared under escort. I want your undivided attention for a few minutes. You've known me for five years, and I've known you for twenty-five. I think we understand one another perfectly. I am now going to pay you a tremendous compliment. The brown one, please, Sergeant. Thanks. You needn't wait. I'm going to execute you without rhyme. Beetle or reason. I know you went to Colonel Dabney's covers because you were invited. I'm not even going to send the sergeant with a note to ask if your statement is true, because I'm convinced that on this occasion you have adhered strictly to the truth. 
I know, too, that you were not drinking. You can take off that virtuous expression, McTurk, or I shall begin to fear you don't understand me. There is not a flaw on any of your characters, and that is why I am going to perpetrate a howling injustice. Your reputations have been injured, haven't they? You have been disgraced before the house, haven't you? You have a particularly keen regard for the honour of your house, haven't you? Well, now I am going to lick you. Six apiece was their portion upon that word. And this, I think, the head replaced the cane, and flung the written charge into the waste-paper basket, covers the situation. When you find a variation from the normal, this will be useful to you in later life. Always meet him in an abnormal way. And that reminds me. There are a pile of paperbacks on that shelf. You can borrow em if you put them back. I don't think they'll take any harm from being read in the open. They smell of tobacco, rather. You will go to prep this evening as usual. Good night, said that amazing man. A good night, and thank you, sir. I swear I'll pray for the head tonight, said Beetle. Those last two cuts were just flicks on my collar. There's a Monte Cristo in that lower shelf. I saw it. Bags on next time we go to Aves. Dear man, said McTurk, no gating, no impose, no beastly questions. All settled. Hallo, what's King going into him for? King and Prout. Whatever the nature of that interview, it did not improve either King's or Prout's ruffled plumes. For when they came out of the head's house, eyes noticed that the other was sweating profusely. That sight compensated them amply for the imperial jaw with which they were favoured by the two. It seems, and who so astonished as they, that they had held back material facts, were guilty of both suppressio veri and suggestio falsi, well-known gods against whom they often offended. Further, that they were malignant in their dispositions, untrustworthy in their characters, pernicious and revolutionary in their influences, abandoned to the devils of wilfulness, pride, and a most intolerable conceit. Ninthly and lastly, they were to have a care and be very careful. They were careful, as only boys can be when there is hurt to be inflicted. They waited through one suffocating week, till Prout and King were their royal selves again, waited till there was a house-match, their own house too, in which Prout was taking part, waited further till he had his pads in the pavilion and stood ready to go forth, King was scoring at the window, and the three sat on a bench without. Said Storky to Beetle, I say, Beetle, quis custodiet ipsos custodes? Don't ask me, said Beetle. I'll have nothing private with you. You can be as private as you please, the other end of the bench. I wish you a very good afternoon. McTurk yawned. Well, ye could have come up to the lodge like Christians, instead of chasing your ahem boys through the length and breadth of my covers. I think these house-matches are all rot. Let's go over to Colonel Dabney's and see if he's called any more poachers." That afternoon there was joy in Aves. End of chapter 1 In Ambush